This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill using technology wisely and living a more sustainable life. Hey, I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters. I'm a PSC commissioner, public service commissioner here in Georgia. My co-host, Casey Boyce Indicator. Casey, how's it going? I'm good, Tim. Always good to be with you this morning. Yeah, Casey, tell us a little bit about the company you work for. I know we featured some of your colleagues on our show before, but what are you working on now uh, with Escalant? Yeah, so the the company that I work for is a human behavior and data analytics firm, and specifically I focus on utility customer side things, and and that's very nonspecific, right? So let me try and get more specific. We look at uh, things like improving uh, utility customers' experience. We look at different opportunities for new products and services, and we look at how utilities communicate uh, with their customers. So we're really uh, focused on how do utilities transition from being kind of, you know, stodgy old world companies into being really leading providers of the technology and energy that that folks are demanding. I noticed a tweet that you had done earlier today, Casey, where you talked about the trust that people have in utilities. So it seems like utilities work really hard to retain the trust of their customers. Is that right? Yeah, certainly a lot of them are. And, um, you know, we started uh, the study that I work on in 2014. And at the time, not a lot of utilities were were really focusing on this. It was something that was kind of you know, back of mind, if at all, in there. And since then, utilities really have transitioned to being much more focused on their brand and on uh, helping engender customer trust. And they've realized that, you know, it, it gives them a lot of opportunity to improve what they do to serve their customers to have that trusted relationship. Casey, I was recently up in the town of Clifton Forge, Virginia. Forge, like a a, a steel forge, F-O-R-G-E. And this this community was essentially made by the railroads. I mean, railroad executives, railroads employees live there. It's about that's about two and a half hours from Washington, but it really, in the 19th century, was when this town, which, by the way, is now just not doing very well at all, um, but at one time, it was a mecca for, ut- uh, for railroad executives. They have a bridge there that's 33 tracks wide. Uh, wow. It, it just tells you... <laughs> Uh, it, this this wasn't just a stop on on a train or two. This was a place where trains were repaired. Uh, but Casey, as I was driving through this town, what really struck me is that the railroads back then were the utilities of their day. Right? We didn't have electricity. Yeah. We didn't have That's natural right. gas. Um, and be- because these railroads were so. Uh, technologically savvy, right? Because people were riding horses. They were riding, you know, in buckboard wagons. I mean, they were in covered wagons. And now they can get on this, this iron horse and it can take them all over the United States. And in this, te- this technology, railroads, enjoyed a lot of favor from government. And by the way, as I inquired with folks in the town, I mean, how come these houses are so big? This doesn't look like a mill town with little shotgun houses. These are two-story homes that are really nice for the day. And these were 19th century homes that have been restored, essentially, or they're dilapidated. I was a guest to this guy, and he said, well, it's because of union workers for the railroad, right? <laughs> Everyone from dispatch to the engineers to uh, to the conductors to the people in the caboose to people working. Everyone was in, in the union, and they received high union wages, and as a result, they had good incomes. And It really reminds me of utilities today, right? Some of the best jobs out there 
are yeah. with gas companies or with uh, electric companies. They pay well. People go there. They never want to leave. Uh, and so it's a great place to work. Um, but these these companies enjoy a lot of trust, a lot of favor from the government. And people would say, hey, a lot of favor from regulators like me. Right. Who kind of keep them going. But the fact of the matter is, Casey, railroads of the day was critical for economic development. And today, electricity and gas is critical for economic development. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny, Tim, we talk to, to, you know, our clients all the time. And, you know, when you're getting to know someone, you know, how long have you been with the company, things like that. And for a lot of utilities and, and a lot of folks, you know, you've been there for a decade and you're still a youngster. You're still a newcomer. Uh, you know, people are there for 30, 40 years. They build careers. And, and what's really interesting about how utilities develop their folks is that they rotate them around. So, you know, you could start in distribution operations and then you could go to marketing and then you could go to customer service. And so, you know, people in utilities get the opportunity to get a really well-rounded kind of business education in a way that uh, people at a lot of other companies just don't, where they're a little bit more siloed into to specialty areas. Casey, uh, the Public Service Commission, uh, where I serve, was founded in 1879. And guess what they regulated in 1879? Well, I'm going to guess uh, railroads, telegraphs. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. We started out with railroads. I mean, there you I, go. Th- this is so fascinating. I really wish we could find a historian to bring on our show, Casey, to talk about this nexus between between rail and utility development and how all that played out and and how similar uh, these things are. And, you know, when you have a technology that's so valuable, that is so, uh, I guess, instrumental in helping a society to be able to to prosper, it does enjoy a lot of favor. And I mean, maybe, Casey, one day solar solar gets that. Maybe maybe electric cars get that one day. Uh, maybe autonomous cars get that one day. But right now, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, growing technologies, things that we think may one day have an impact. But until you start impacting um, everybody out there, you don't have the influence and the impact that you would otherwise. Well, and, and what's interesting, Tim, is that the, the other kind of overlap between railroads and utilities is at least historically, you've needed to have corridors to make the business work, right? The railroads need their rights of way to have tracks that don't just, you know, end and start randomly, right? That, that doesn't help anyone. You need to have the Intercontinental Railroad, right? Um, and they have enjoyed protected status from the government in terms of being able to assemble and maintain those rights of way to facilitate commerce, right? And historically, utilities have been built around kind of central station generation from an electric side or, you know, pumping from a natural gas side. And you've had these corridors for transmission of natural gas or electricity. Um, What's different about technologies like solar is that you know, you can now have individuals that have their own power plant on their roof. You know, my son the other day was asking me, he said, you know, what's an example of a power plant in Georgia? And I said, well, we've got one on our roof right now, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, there's this opportunity to have power in a more decentralized fashion, which makes those transmission corridors less important. Um, Now, you know, I think it can be argued that the transmission uh, arguably could be even more important now with renewable you know, moving electricity from, you know, the, the Midwest where you've got lots of wind power to where people need the actual electricity. Um, but, but that's another one of those areas of overlap between the railroads and the utilities. Casey, there are those that believe that utilities will be obsolete one day, right? I mean, as I looked, as I looked uh, off the top of the hill where we were staying in a former railroad executive's home uh, at at what was a bustling, busy, prosperous town. Yeah, they still have tracks there. They're still servicing trains, but it's nothing like it was because, frankly, rail in America is nothing like it was. I mean, it could be, it could be, to your point, that one day uh, distributed generation, solar on your house, batteries in your garage, 
that they do have a disruptive effect on traditional utilities. It could happen. I don't I don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen, but it could, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there, you know, a number of years ago, there was a lot of concern about utilities going away um, with people putting solar and batteries and things like you're talking about in their houses. I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. I think that there is a strong likelihood that the utility of even 10 years from now is going to look very different from what most people grew up with. Um, And it's going to be more customer interaction. It's going to be more technology. It's going to be more choices. It's going to look a lot more like a, you know, a Netflix kind of model or, or, you know, something like that where, you know, it's very consumer responsive. And, you know, if you'd asked me about, Nah, 10 years ago, I would say, well, you know, I'm not sure that utilities are necessarily going to make that transition. Uh, boy, they've they've risen to the challenge. And so I think they will make that transition. It doesn't mean that they don't have challenges to their business. But, uh, you know, I think I think they'll still be there just looking differently than they have in the past. Clearly, that trust that we talked about earlier is important if they plan on staying in the picture, if they're, you know, if the if if we do have a lot of disruptive technologies. Hey, Casey, let's keep talking about this when we come back. Uh, I'd love to have our listeners post something on our Twitter page at Matters Radio, mine at Tim Eccles, yours at Casey Boyce, about this idea of the railroads and the similarities between utilities. Do you think we're right on this? How, How would you describe this? We'd love to hear from you. I'm Tim Eccles. Stick around. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. I'm your host. Our show comes to you uh, from Athens, Georgia. And Casey, it's hard to believe that we have 82 shows sitting on the WGAURadio.com website. I mean, we covered a lot of material, haven't we, over, over the last couple of years? We haven't. We've had some really fun topics. I mean, energy, which is near and dear to, I think, both of our hearts, but also things like, you know, sustainability and, you know, materials reuse and all all sorts of really interesting stuff. So go check out those archives if uh, you haven't been listening since the beginning of the show. Yes, really easy. You just click over to WGAURadio.com. You'll see an on demand button. Click that. Pick our show, Energy Matters. And then you can just kind of scroll through. We, we list a couple of sentences describing each episode. Pick out something that you're interested in and let us know what you think. I'm, I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter, the shows at Matters Radio. And I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. And we respond pretty quickly to folks. We love the interaction. So uh, tweet us up. Casey, we were talking in the last segment about the similarity between railroads and utilities today, uh, and there are there are a lot. One, they're they're regulated, uh, meaning that 
you know, they're, in this case, they've used eminent domain, they've taken land, you don't want to have 10 different tracts with 10 different companies beside each other, so, you know, you've got limited real estate, in the same way we do with our utility poles, we don't want five different companies with five different poles out there, uh, and so, these companies are given, oftentimes, a territorial monopoly. And that, that issue is, it causes a little consternation with some people. I don't have a problem with it in Georgia because I don't feel like our, our system is broken. I think we have a, a high customer satisfaction. For the most part, people are very pleased with the utilities. We have below the national average rates. So it's not broken, so I don't want to change it. But, Casey, there are states that have gone away from that, haven't they? There are. Yeah, there's a couple of different models for deregulation in the electric space and in the natural gas space. And, you know, even though, Tim, you talked about uh, electric generation and distribution being regulated here in Georgia, we do have uh, a deregulated natural gas market. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but in some states uh, across the country, so think Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, some others, Customers have the opportunity to choose a generation supplier, so they don't have to go with their incumbent utility. Now, they'd still get their bill from whoever their utility was. So, you know, if you're in Ohio, maybe it's AEP Ohio, you'd still get the bill from them. But you'd get your generation from someone else and you could select renewable generation or, you know, generation that's higher cost or lower cost. And and you've got that choice. Texas is the um, electric market that's really gone the farthest, and there uh, customers have the opportunity to choose a retail supplier. So they don't get their bill from the utility, the Centerpoint Energy or an Encore. They get their bill from the retailer like Infinite Energy or TXU, and that's very similar to the gas market that we have here in Georgia where you can choose your retail gas supplier, and that's who you receive your bill from. Yeah, and that's pretty... That's a pretty disruptive model, wasn't it? I mean, did you study the history of any of these states or have you talked with folks that maybe worked in the old model and now they're in the new? How is it different? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big transition, particularly when Texas deregulated its market um, for the utilities kind of getting out of that customer relationship business. And and I think part of the challenge is uh, on the customer side and, and even still in Texas and certainly many of the other states that have deregulated a lot of customers aren't aware of the choice that they have. Um, and so, uh, and there's a lot of stasis too, right? Like people stay with whoever they started with and they don't shop around. That being said, we've seen quite a bit of innovation in the Texas market, just as we see in the Georgia gas market in terms of different billing options, uh, in terms of different technology, in terms of different service offerings. So that competition at the retail level, particularly, does drive innovation forward. Um, and, and you know, quite frankly, in, in some of the work that I do with my utility clients um, that are fully regulated, we talk about some of those innovations that have happened in the deregulated space or that happen in other similar industries like banking or telecom and what utilities need to be bringing internally. Because again, you know, if they don't adopt those technologies and provide what their customers want, ultimately their customers are going to go somewhere else to get that. And Casey, I think that if we had tremendous customer dissatisfaction here, because I'm asked from time to time, hey, why don't we deregulate electricity like we have done natural with natural gas? And my response is always the same. Look, it's not broke. And I'm not going to conduct some social experiment just because, you know, you may think this is a good idea or Texas is making it work. There's no need to take a status quo situation that is working satisfactorily and to take a chance on the system not working and people being dissatisfied. So, but let's just hypothetically say, Casey, that that a plant that we were building got canceled and it was a it was it was a big hot mess and uh, and, and ratepayers were on the hook for all of, all that money when when the plant never got built. And let's just say that uh, that the utility didn't answer the phone something different. But until something like that happens, 
you don't really move away from a system that's working, in my opinion. Well, and, you know, the the thing that has struck me that uh, I've heard said is that your job as a regulator, and I'd be interested in your, your reaction to this, is basically to force monopolies to act as if they were in a competitive business. So making sure that they stay on top of meeting commitments in servicing their customers and being innovative and staying financially sound, um, all of those things that a traditional competitive market would would force a company to do. So it's kind of part consumer advocate, right, both on the business and residential. It's part pushing that utility, you know, to be all they can be. We have an integrated resource planning statute here, and we actually featured this a couple of shows ago uh, in the second half where people could actually hear the debate from 1991. But that particular mandate requires that we hold the company accountable, the utility company, Georgia Power in this case, accountable to plan out for 20 years to look at possible emerging technologies that's going to benefit our ratepayers. So, and by the way, that that statute, that act has never been amended since 1991. So you got to figure that it's working properly. And we know that not everything the legislature does works properly, and they have to go back and fix it and do this and do that. But in this case, it was done, and it was done well. Uh, So, Casey, I think I wear a lot of different hats. One of them includes economic development, right? It includes having a competitive state where people want to come and set up their factory here or bring their business here because those businesses provide jobs, which improve prosperity. I mean, that's kind of how I see it from my Republican perch. Yeah. And, you know, on the economic development side, you look at the history of electrification in the South in particular, and it it was a big economic development story. Uh, You know, the TVA up in uh, Tennessee and and a couple other states was set up as a a federal uh, utility um, and it, it basically powered uh, aluminum production for World War II and resulted in a lot of reduction in poverty in the Tennessee Valley. Similarly, Southern Company across its service territory really focused on, um, you know, putting electric lines in place um, and focused on el- economic development through its history. And, and a lot of the co-ops did, too, when they were set up with the Rural Electrification Act. So, you know, economic development is part and parcel of the utility story, particularly in the South. When you think about the importance of electricity, and I think most historians agree that the greatest invention uh, of the 20th century or the greatest phenomenon was the electrification of America uh, in terms of of helping people prosper, of changing communities. I don't, you know, I don't know what that's going to be for the 21st century as we, you know, as we reflect on you know, it, it may be the app, I don't know, apps uh, and what they've done uh, for people. But clearly, the electrification of America, you know, whether it's the rural cooperatives that you mentioned for those folks out in the country or for the larger utilities in the cities, it's certainly changed life as we know it in America. Absolutely. And, you know, Tim, maybe this tees up uh, another conversation for us to have here in the next segment or two. But, uh, you know, this idea of electrification hasn't really gone away. And in fact, there are a lot of people who are pushing to, you know, quote unquote, electrify everything. Right. And so um, the idea is that natural gas is a fossil fuel that, um, you know, if we're really serious about tackling climate change, we need to get people away from natural gas both in terms of generation and in terms of end use, right? So using it to heat your water or heat your house or anything like that. Um, and, and that poses some real risks and economic challenges. And and I think it's something that, you know, certainly you and your colleagues at the commission need to be considering. I know our clients who are gas utilities are considering. So maybe let's talk about that in our next segment here. Yeah, let's let's keep the conversation going. Um, I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter, the shows at Matters Radio. And I'm at Casey Boyce. And we would love to have you tweet us and let us know your opinion about how things are. I mean, do you feel like things aren't broken? Uh, Do you agree with me? Or do you feel like, yeah, we we need to change this up and, and give us maybe the reasons why you think so. I'm Tim Eccles. Stick around. We'll have more great talk on Energy Matters.
Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. They're dedicated to energy solutions for both your home and business. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure their clients receive the highest quality of solar energy systems in the industry. Contact CSUSA today at 770-485-7438 or go to creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. My co-host, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? I'm good, Tim. Good morning to you. Casey, we were talking um, a few minutes ago just about the future, and and I'm really excited to have in this segment Kevin McCracken. Uh, He's with Chesapeake Energy. Where are we going in this segment, Casey? Well, so, you know, we have talked so far this show about kind of the future of energy, and, um, you know, what Kevin uh, is going to be able to to share with us here, and what I'm excited to to learn from him, is about the future of natural gas. So, uh, Kevin, you do work with renewable natural gas, and uh, is that correct? That's correct, Casey. And and what is renewable natural gas? Renewable natural gas is when you take a waste stream, which typically is wastewater treatment plant uh, sludge, or it's it's animal sludge, or it's landfills, and you treat it in in an anaerobic digester or in a process that converts it to a methane that's pipeline quality. Kevin, we got a lot of chicken farms in Georgia. Um, uh, We have you know a decent amount of dairy farms, but certainly. Above I-20, I think we have 4,000 chicken farms. And I know that, you know, as they clean out, you know, these chicken houses and take that chicken litter, oftentimes they'll spread it out as fertilizer on pastures and whatnot. But uh, are there places in the U.S. that's taking something like chicken litter or turkey litter or uh, something out of a chicken house and actually turning it into RNG? Yes, there is. There's uh, actually our utility, uh, uh, Chesapeake Utilities, owns Delmarva Natural Gas up on the Delmarva Peninsula. And historically, that in Georgia, two of the prime areas for chicken and chicken waste. And the chicken waste up there has been accumulating to such a degree that it's it's caused problems in the bay with runoff and they've had to start transporting it because there's so much of it out to pennsylvania but because of the new environmental laws they're not allowing that so we're involved in two different projects uh one being called clean bay that we announced last week where there's a party going to come in and spend 200 million dollars to construct an anaerobic digester that will convert chicken waste into renewable natural gas that we'll transport using our Marlin virtual pipeline over to our gas system and we'll consume it in our gas system and give our customers their first access to green gas on the peninsula. And it allows us to displace uh, uh, fossil fuel gas coming in on the north end of the system off a pipeline. So we're actually replacing fossil fuel gas with renewable natural gas. So Kevin, when when you're doing this, uh, are you always um, you know injecting this renewable natural gas into pipeline systems like you just described, or are there customers that you work with that are are you know using that natural gas on site? There's so customers that use gas on site typically don't clean it up to pipeline quality because of the cost. So 
there's a lot of people that are doing gas into power gen units inside their uh, premises, and they're getting wrecks for those at times, but they're only cleaning it up to about 50% purity. You're going to get five to 600 uh, BTU gas. You got to get to 950 plus in order to get be pipeline quality. So you have to add additional cleanup equipment. And that's what's happening in the market is the incentives that are being provided by the government programs called RINs, which is renewable uh, identification numbers, which is through a transportation initiative to, to get rid of clean greenhouse gases that are, are accumulating. The other program that's that's pushing this is called the Low Carbon Fuel Standard out of California. Between those two incentives, they pay off enough for the cleanup equipment for people to put the cleanup equipment in and bring it to pipeline grade, and then you have to put it in a pipeline and has to transport to a CNG station uh, where it goes into a truck so they can the government can verify that you should get those incentives. So so it's a, it's a complex program, but it's very, been very effective in growing the RNG market. So we've got counties like DeKalb County, Georgia, that's taking landfill gas uh, and sending it over to the Coke syrup plant, and they're burning it for electricity over there. Used to use it for energy there at the Coke plant. We've got uh, a few other landfills that are cleaning it to a point where they can put it into a CNG trash truck like Augusta, uh, Augusta Richmond out there near where the Masters is played. Um, but, you know, to my knowledge, we're, we, we don't have a digester that's been, you know, that's been funded by a county like Hall County, let's say, where all these chicken farms are, uh, where where then chicken waste can be hauled in, put into that central located digester, cleaned and put into a pipeline. So I, I, I don't, and I, I don't know really where to begin on this uh, and how we could do that. I mean, what would you tell me as a regulator in our state on how we could tee up something like this? Well, generally, it's, it's through creation of incentive programs has been the Kickstarter for most of the states in getting that done. I will say that the market's changing, though. There, there's such a push for environmental, uh, what's called ESG, Environmental Society and Governance Matters for, for investor-owned utilities, that they're starting to step up on their own and make commitments to renewable products like renewable natural gas. And therefore, you'll see bigger push for more ADs and more cleanup of, of animal sludge. I think a big indicator of that last week was when Dominion Resources sold off all their natural gas trans transmission systems but retained all the renewable natural gas properties and, and their initiatives around that. Yeah, so to, to get a little bit more specific, and, and this is kind of nerdy, but I'm, I'm really curious, and, and some of our listeners may be as well, when you're looking at citing one of these anaerobic, anaerobic digesters, are you looking to put it in a place where you've got lots of feedstocks, all that chicken litter and things like that? Or are you looking to put it in close proximity to a pipeline or a CNG station where you can inject it? Like, how do you how do you think about where those go and in, in, you know, proximity to the, the source and use? Yeah, the, the, there's been a lot of uh, study on which is the best approach as far as what you need to be closer to. Um, I think everything that I've seen is that you want to build the anaerobic digester close to the supply source where the waste is at, and it's easier to clean it up all in one location and then transport it historically through pipelines, but what's becoming more of the fashion is what's called the virtual pipeline, where you, which is what Marlin Gas Services is, and what we do is we take that gas and we take a compressor and pump it up to 3,600 pounds into a trailer, and then we drive over to a location that the utility likes. They know they got enough gas flowing that they can take the gas, and then we offload it through decompression into that pipeline system. And, and the beauty of the virtual pipeline is unlike a pipeline, you can pinpoint where on the system that the utility wants it. You don't need to get any right-of-way and you don't need to get any environmental permits. So a lot of the things that have been killing off the pipelines and the ability to build pipelines doesn't happen when you're using a virtual. Well, Casey, I think, I think you look at where the dairy farms out are down near I-20 in Putnam County as you go out towards Augusta. So if we did this as a virtual pipeline, that's in the AGL system down there. Uh, and in Hall County, it's in the Liberty Gas, the Liberty Utility uh, Territory. Uh, and there are, uh, I know there's a, a big pipeline uh, up in Hall County, not sure down in Putnam County where the nearest, nearest one would be. But to me, that's pretty attractive to do this 
virtually. I mean, you know, we've got a couple of years before we do our energy planning with AGL. I mean, maybe we tee this up to bring this in into rates in a couple of years. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'd love to see more of these happen in Georgia. And, and certainly, as you pointed out, Tim, we've got the agricultural waste stream to, to really serve as a, a good feedstock for these, these anaerobic digesters. And, you know, Kevin, you talked about the ESG piece kind of um, being part of what is driving utilities to adopt renewable natural gas. Um, what are you seeing on the customer side? Are, are customers asking for renewable natural gas? Yes, they are. There's, there is quite a clamor for renewable natural gas. In fact, the issue is that the incentives in California are so predominant that they're drawing all the renewable natural gas in the direction of California for, for a lot of the anaerobic digester projects. And for the landfill projects, which aren't as costly, those can be more localized. But again, there's more demand than there is actual RNG. So there's a big push to create more RNG to meet the demand growth because the demand growth from the customers is getting significant, especially in the transportation sector. Um, and I would say that the commissions uh, are, are, are taking the right approach in looking at this as possibly an opportunity for the utilities to participate. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I work with natural gas utilities around the country, and I, I've got a client in the middle of the country um, who serves a, a fairly large, fairly progressive city that has said, we want to go 100% carbon free, and we want renewable natural gas to be a big part of that. And they've said, yeah, we just, we can't, we can't meet that demand. We don't have enough renewable natural gas supply to be able to meet that demand. So how do you respond to something like that from a scaling standpoint? Well, how we're, how we're responding is we might be the first utility in the country to do this. We're actually actively in the midst of investing in these ourselves. And, and some of the RNG that we're looking at doing, we're working with our commission to see if we can't take 5 or 10% of that supply and sell it into our stream to decarbonize our system and to cut off some of our fossil fuel supplies that we're bringing into the system from other locations. Hey, Casey, I want to keep this conversation going because I do think as much as batteries is the next big thing for electric utilities, I think this RNG thing is uh, is a huge trend. And so when we come back, we want to bring Kevin back. We'll talk more about this. I'm on Twitter at Tim Eccles, the shows at Matters Radio. Casey? I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. And Kevin, where can folks find out more about what you guys are doing? Just give us a website now or a social media yeah, site. Uh, Chesapeake Utilities, chpk.com is, is the utilities website. And feel free to contact me directly. I can give you my email. Uh, Kevin McCracken at chp.com. Yeah, so stick around. We'll be back with Kevin uh, in just a minute. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. They're dedicated to energy solutions for both your home and business. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure their clients receive the highest quality of solar energy systems in the industry. Contact CSUSA today at 770-485-7438 or go to creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back with our final segment. We've got Kevin McCracken here, KC, from uh, Chesapeake Energy. Kevin, how's it going? Real good. Real good, Tim. Hey, we love to find out a little personal stuff about our guests. Where did you go to college at? Well, I went to University of Michigan, and then I went to Central Michigan. I graduated up there, went to work for DT Energy, and then ended up down in Atlanta working for AGL, AGL Resources back in 2008. and was in Atlanta for six years. 
now I'm down in Florida working for Chesapeake Utilities. Wow, that's great. And you mentioned um, a peninsula. You mentioned some bodies of water. Give us an idea of where this RNG facility is in places that, you know, folks in Georgia might might know from a Florida geography standpoint. Okay, so the RNG project that we're sponsoring right now is up on the Delmarva Peninsula. It's on the south end. Uh, part One of them's in Maryland and one is in Delaware. Uh, and then we ha- are actively looking at a couple locations in Georgia ourselves to put anaerobic digesters in. And we've got three different landfills that we're working with currently that, that would have RNG production down in the Georgia market. So uh, we believe that Georgia has a very big market that's ripe for RNG development, and we plan to be participants in it. Man, we're excited about that. I'm, I, I had hoped to do this in this previous cycle with AGL, but it just there was just too many other moving parts. But um, you know, it it was said by you know by most parties involved, hey, let's do this next time. So I I do feel like that it's going to be ripe and ready ready to go and i'm so glad to hear that you guys are are doing this is there is there any any scale opportunities right so you're talking about doing it in three places i mean what if we said okay how could we do this in 10 places i mean is there any any benefit to that? absolutely absolutely actually the project that we're doing up in delmarva has six phases to it, six separate projects. Each of them are $200 million, so at the end, it's probably the largest initiative in the United States. It'll be over a billion dollars in expenditures, but it'll, it will clean up 80 to 90% of the chicken waste problem on the, on the peninsula, and it'll create a, a nutrient uh, that comes out of the process also that can be used. It's an organic fertilizer, so you can grow organic plants and you, you don't have the runoff issues with, with typical fertilizers. So it is very scalable. It, you'll you'll see that it project size is size to the waste, but that you can you can do different phases in different locations. Tell us a little bit about Chesapeake Energy. How how big are they? How long they've been around? Yeah, Chesapeake Utilities has been around over 150 years. We're a billion and a half dollar capitalized utility. Uh, we are the, one of the top 20 propane sales retailers in the in the country uh, we have uh, gas systems in florida and up in the delmarva peninsula and we have we own the electric company at amelia island um, so we're across all the different types of energy segments uh pretty diversified but but smaller in scale hey amelia island has fernandina beach on it and i I've, as a boy uh, i would go there with my grandparents and we would rent one of those old block houses they're probably all gone i haven't been i haven't been to amelia island in 20 years Um, but i played a lot of putt putt at that putt putt course and casey you've heard my bad boat stories you've heard you've heard my bad what was the other bad story i had i mean it's just one thing after another but when it comes to putt putt nothing but good stories right i was just i was just like Man, I loved it as a kid. Still play it. I was just recently on vacation with my son. What did we do? We went and played putt-putt. Just love it. That's the kind of golfing I can get behind. Yeah. Well, Tim, let me, let me <laughs> just add to that. that I, the owner of that is a friend of mine, and he's from Atlanta. He's a commercial developer. And his name's Tom Miller, and he bought it. And he's actually gotten them to make the national championship for putt-putt. will be there next year. Oh, wow. <laughs> wait, hold on. There, wait, there's a national championship for putt-putt? Yes, there is. <laughs> How did I just learn? This is incredible. My day is completely transformed. Hey, Kevin, you've got to uh, (laughs) offline. You've got to give me his info because my uh, one of my other sons is now going to be working down at um, Punta Vedra. He worked for Chick-fil-A and we're going to be going that way a lot more. And I got to divert over there and play putt-putt. So uh, and, and just, you know, ha- have a little of that for old time's sake. Well, I'm certain Tom will love to meet you. And he's a great guy. He's made a lot of investments in the area and, and a lot up in the Atlanta area and, and done a lot for the communities. You know, the folks that run um, Greystone, is it Greystone Inn on Cumberland Island? They live, mm-hmm. they live yeah. uh, on Amelia Island and they commute every day out there to Cumberland off of Amelia. So it's not that far, you know, to Cumberland from um, from Fernandina. I mean, it's just hop in the boat. You can probably be there in 10 minutes. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's get back uh, and talk about renewable natural gas and and 
you know, it's, it's, it's going to be the next big thing in the gas market. I'm very excited about it. And, you know, but I am not having that many Fortune 500 companies in Georgia asking me about it. They ask me about solar. They ask me about EVs. But they're not so much asking about RNG. So how do you get the conversation started with companies about this, Kevin? Actually, um, uh, we've been engaging with Southern Company Gas, and they, they, are, they are taking a serious look at where they could go with it. In fact, announced a week and a half, two weeks ago, a restructuring with a focus on RNG, where they, they put some senior management in, in place to, to pursue where can they head with the renewable natural gas effort. And we, we have partnered with them on a number of initiatives that have been very good for us, including one that's very, very important to us is uh, we are going to have uh, Southern Company Gas, a subsidiary Atlanta Gaslight, construct a brand new, the largest public CNG station in the state of Georgia will be in Savannah. And, and we're going to be the ones paying for that. Because why? Because we can use it for our Marlin business and we can use it to bring our RNG over there and sell it to fleets. And so the RNG that's produced in the state can then go over there. It becomes a transportation fuel and reduces greenhouse emissions. Man, that's that's exciting. I don't know if this is the, the facility at M Market. Uh, down in Savannah, but we're going to be doing our clean energy roadshow from that CNG station coming up um, later on this this summer. So that is really exciting that you guys are doing that for uh, really for the last eight or so years. I've been hoping to see our port take some of their yard tractors, you know, that the longshoremen drive around there and convert those to CNG, and we just haven't had the right equipment, right range, and all of that. But I know they do that in Long Beach, um, and we just haven't done it in Georgia yet. But I think there's a lot of opportunity. So do we. Actually, we're we're working with the port as part of this. This is being new. The Enmark is a separate facility. This is a much larger facility. Like I said, this will be the largest uh, public CNG station in the state of Georgia. It'll have uh, massive uh, compression there and ability to uh, upscale that and we have talked to the port and it's right on the front entrance to the port is where the location of it on a 15 acre plot that we're working with somebody that has diesel and gasoline so it's a full service truck stop that'll include cng also man i, I gotta That's be at really the, i gotta i gotta be at the ribbon cutting on that kevin don't forget you about me don't for, don't forget <laughs> about your commissioner uh when you do that because this is something i get really excited about casey Kevin, a quick question. So we talked in a previous segment about um, kind of some of the, the supply and, and demand constraints. And, um, you know, you talked about how you guys are investing in the digesters to really help with the supply side of things. Um, and I've read some studies uh, that, that say that, you know, in terms of the total amount of natural gas that the U.S. uses, we could replace about 20 percent of it with renewable natural gas. And and that's not nothing, but it's it's not 100 percent. Right. Uh, so two, two questions for you. One, do you agree as you kind of look at the market that 20 percent, you know, give or take is the right number there? Um, and two, does that vary by region? So we've talked about how we've got a lot of feedstock from chicken litter and things like that do we have more potential here in the southeast than say you know kansas does or texas does yeah so so it does vary by region it varies by what your agricultural base is and there is a lot of opportunity down in the southeast um there's a very good study that icf came out with about two months ago uh they did it for dc but in it they break down the whole u.s and with the what the ability for each region to, to develop RNG on their own and, and how they can do it. And my belief is that it's kind of like uh, the era of, uh, of natural gas itself. Uh, I think that some of these estimates today are their are best guess based on what the knowledge they have. But as technologies get better and you can process more waste, I think there is quite a bit more waste out there that could be mixed or combined or done in other ways that you can create even more RNG. So I don't think you've heard the last of what this is. It's kind of one of those stories where I think it'll keep getting bigger as, as, as it gets more important. You apply more technology to it and you, you apply more resources to it. And that's definitely something that we're about here on this show. And, and as you pointed out, there's also the environmental benefits of just taking care of that waste and not letting it washing it into the, the waters or the bays or whatever. Man, that's a huge issue, Casey. I know um, one of my daughters lives on Lake Lanier, and they have warnings all the time up there where there's just too high of a concentrate of fecal matter in the lake. It's dangerous. You don't want to put your head under the water. You know, so you've got 
you know, yeah, you've got houseboats and the problem there, but you've got chicken farms and other things that run off in creeks that get into the lake. Um, and so that's a, that's, that's a huge deal in being able to, uh, to clean up that waste stream and turn it into some kind of organic fertilizer and then be able to power, you know, uh, homes or factories or, or, or even electricity plants as a result. That's a huge, that's a huge thing. So uh, as we wrap up our show today, Kevin, just want to thank you for your great work in RNG, Renewable Natural Gas, and thank you for being with us on the show today. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. I've got a lot of passion around this, and I know you got a lot of passion around energy, Tim. Appreciate being on here. Great. Casey, another great show. Thank you for being a co-host today. Enjoy it. I'm Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Have a great day, everybody. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over Georgia. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. The folks there understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll unpack it all. They've been in business for over 25 years. To find out more, go to SolarSunWorld.com. That's SolarSunWorld.com.